Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 199. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. As always, I'm so happy you're tuning into the show. I hope you're finding Dose of Leadership as a great resource for you and your leadership journey. This is the show where we talk to leadership experts and thought leaders all around the globe to help us in our leadership journey, to help us become the leaders we were called to be, because whether we like it or not, or whether we know it or not, we're all going to be called to leadership at some time in our lives, so it is in our interest to learn all we can about leadership. And today I got a very special guest. I'm so happy I came across John Ramstead. He's a personal coach, a leadership coach, but he's a fellow gold winger. I came across him because he just started a new podcast called Eternal Leadership, and John is a former Navy fighter pilot. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's been uh, worked for Fortune 500 management teams. He's been a board member. He's done so many unique things, and he's just an all-around outstanding individual uh, when it comes to business, to leadership, and in life. He's got an amazing story. You're going to be on the edge of your seat when you hear what happened to him just a few years ago. He almost died, and he was on an accident when riding a horse. And um, for all practical accounts, he shouldn't be here today. And I'll let him describe the story to you. But uh, it's just an amazing story. It's amazing recovery. He's a very strong Christian. He's a very um, uh, goal-oriented family man. Uh, all about leadership, and you're just absolutely going to love this con- conversation with John. I'm so glad I met him. So, without further ado, here is John Ramstead. Well, John, welcome to the show. So glad that you're here. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I was excited when I came across your work. You know, I was kind of looking around on iTunes and found the Eternal Leadership Podcast, and I said, "What is this all about?" You know, and and I started reading your bio, and I come to find out you're a fellow naval aviator. I said, "I got to know this guy." So. You know, thanks for uh, for accepting my invitation to come on the show. Well, I appreciate it. You know, anybody that wears a pair of gold wings, Richard, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take anybody's call, but especially a Marine Corps pilot. Uh, <laughs> I always had the highest level of respect in my book. Yeah, well, I was I was proud to say that I was naval aviator trained. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I did a joint tour with the Air Force, and it was that was kind of a blessing too, because I saw and I instructed as an Air Force instructor, and I saw how the Air Force did it, and of course, I was trained the Navy Marine Corps way, and it is kind of funny when you see that how. The Navy really does some things really well, and the Air Force does some really things really well, and it's just it was kind of neat to see that perspective. Have you did you ever work with any Air Force uh, curriculum or pilots? Well, I did when I was in Desert Storm when we were in the Persian Gulf back in uh, ninety ninety one, and I've always thought the difference was the Air Force tells the guys exactly what they can do. And the Navy tells us what we can't do, which gives us a little more latitude. It's, right. it's a little different mindset. I don't know. You've been in both places. What do you think? That is definitely true. I mean, there was more, you know, I remember, you know, flying on the Navy or the Marine Corps side and the Navy side, you know, in my squadron, I had basically had three publications. And then when I checked in, you know, that's flying a, a KC-130, huge tactical manual with all kinds of missions. And then when I was flying the, you know, T-37 tweet for the Air Force and, and you know, this plane's been flying since 19, what, 55, 56 for the Air Force at the time. And 
man, I was handed publications that went all the way up to my neck almost and all these changes and I'm like, oh my gosh. And so, yeah, there's, there is definitely that. And I, that's one thing I do appreciate about the naval aviation style of training is that if it's not in the book, it's kind of left up to you to make the judgment call. And I think that's, I think that, that helped along the way. So that, that has been my experience. But yeah, what I appreciate about it is the training, because, you know, in the Navy, we have NATOPS, which is really the standardization manual from everything from how to start the plane to tactics and combat. But, you know, the saying was that that was written in blood. Yes. You know, that was lessons learned. And if you follow what's in here, you're going to do the mission well and do it safely and execute on it. Uh, but that also gives you, the way in my mind, was always a latitude to compartmentalize what you're doing but bring the best of who you were to every situation because your hands weren't tied so i've never flown under air force rules but that's what i always appreciated about all my time flying f-14s off aircraft carriers yeah you know and i it's funny that you mentioned that i actually pulled out of my wallet i just pulled it out right now i carry a little uh photocopy from the natops flight manual the first kind of page once you get through all the the gobbledygook and the legalese and the really first page and it tells us you know this is the the manual that we have to you know, have memorized. It's our duty to know all the systems, performance data, operating procedures. It's required. But I love the statement in there that says, however, this manual is not a substitute for common sense and sound judgment. I think that kind of sums up everything um, in a nutshell, what flying for the, the military and the Navy Marine Corps way taught me about leadership. I don't know. What's your take? What's your take on that? Well, you know, I, th I think you are so right. Because, you know, when I got out of the military and got into business, a lot of the deep leadership concepts and principles I was able to develop in the military, uh, but also the processes, you know, the checklists, the uh, the organization creating a structure, but then, but having a structure that allowed people to operate in a way, though, that they can bring themselves, their common sense, their judgments, also uh, a culture where, you know, in the military, as you know, uh, there's flights that don't go well. You, you know, you fail as often sometimes, especially in training as you succeed, but it's a culture where you're built on those failures. They're, they're there to empower you and move you forward and teach you. It, it's, it's, uh, it was something when I got out of the military, I didn't see very much of at all and really sought to recreate in the companies that I started. Yeah, I love that you said that. That same experience with me, too. I, I think we were talking before the recording is that I never realized how much the Marine Corps and military aviation taught me about leadership until I got away from it. I'm hearing that's that's the same experience that you had. Uh, exa yeah, completely. Yeah. You know, and, and again, nothing against the Air Force. I flew with them for 10 years in the Guard, and, and it, a lot of it's the same. And I would say that the Air Force was really good at initially teaching somebody how to be a good VFR, aggressive VFR pilot, where the Navy really excelled in teaching somebody how to be a very good instrument pilot. And I think that's because of the necessity of landing on the boat, where that comes from. But the, those were the main differences, but they're, they're both good. Yeah, there was a lot of emphasis on that, wasn't there? Yeah, tons. So, guys, here we are, your F-14 pilot. You know, you were going to make a career out of the Navy, weren't you? I mean, you went in and uh, you just absolutely loved it. I mean, that you were going to make a career out of it, weren't you? You know, since I was a kid, Richard, it was a dream of mine to be a uh, a fighter pilot. And I'll, I'll never forget, though, just you know, talking about just goals, self-image, leadership. That's not where I, I was. I'll never forget. I was in college, ROTC scholarship. And somebody came in. I've never checked the validity of this statement, but he said one one of ten thousand people that apply to aviation actually get a, a a seat in a jet cockpit. Wow! 
a fighter. And man, I checked out. I just did not think that that was me. And then I went and spent that summer. I was going to go nuke power and go on subs. I spent a, a month and a half on a submarine and I'm like, Oh, oh my, God, oh yeah. my word, I cannot do this. <laughs> yeah. So, so I went and walked my application all the way through and uh, got accepted to flight school through just a series of miracles, quite frankly. But on my way down to flight school, uh, my dad said, listen, there's going to be somebody down there that everybody's talking about. He's just the, the ace of the base. He's a student. Get to know him and find out what he's doing. And that was probably some of the best advice that I've gotten in my life, and I've carried that through into everything else I've ever done since then. Because uh, I found that guy. Uh, we became great friends. And what he was doing was just uh, – it was very unique. It was just a different approach to – how he was learning what he had to do and following what he did. I was the number one student all the way through and was able to fly fighters. So, uh, you know, holding on to your dreams and your goals, even when it looks completely insurmountable at times can have some great rewards. You know what I heard you just say, and I think this is so critical, especially, um, you know, it's almost like when you are faced with those insurmountable odds, those statistics, like you said, it's so easy for us to check out and say, Oh, I don't belong in the space. It's not even a possibility. It's almost like you're suspending the belief on how things are going to get done. You just kind of enter a mindset of knowing that it's going to get done. Does that make sense? It almost sounds pie in the sky, but really that's what's happened. Doesn't I mean it, it, it's like you just take an intentional step, kind of chipping away at that at that dream, right? I mean that's that's a takeaway I got from what you just said. Well, you know it's interesting. You talk, you know, the getting the the gold wings and getting into the fighter cockpit when I was starting flight training just seemed, still seemed like such a huge task. But I, I remember I made a big grid that I had on my wall every flight from primary flight training to intermediate jets and advanced jets. I was already thinking that I was going to go this route from day one because after, as you know, after, after primary flight training, that's when they decide whether your grades are good enough to right. even continue on into jets. And I had everything academically broken down. And as I did each test, every simulator, every flight, I would X that out on my grid and even when I had, you know, the first third of it filled out, it just still seemed like such a long task. But for me, breaking everything down into what I had to do that day, what I had to focus on, what are the skills I had to develop to be successful tomorrow and just this week, really paid some huge dividends. Well, that's just analogous to what we have to do with life, right? No matter what our dream is. I mean, you have to start somewhere. You just start chipping away at it. I mean, the good news is you, we, you're handed this kind of this path on how to get there. But it's the same whether if you're trying to make up a dream, you're going to have to come up with those steps. But it's just taking incremental steps and doing the best that you can on next day's flight is what what I'm hearing. Yeah, not only that, but, you know, uh, you know, reaching out and finding really a mentor. Yeah. Uh, you know, that played out through my whole, my whole military career and later. I'd always look at people that were, you know, where I wanted to get to, whether a month ahead, a year ahead, three years ahead of me. You know, whether it was, you know, managing a company or as an executive or in sales, sales management. And I sought out relationships in those areas and just asked people. I would sit down with them, buy them coffee or lunch, get to know them and ask them the questions that were coming up in my mind. And, you know, through that process, Richard, I it just helped me create so much more velocity toward where I wanted to get to because I, I knew I wasn't smart enough to do it on my own. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was a, I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. Right. I always felt like I could outwork everybody around me, but I wanted to make sure my work was moving me in the right direction. You know, it's so, what, yeah, I'm just, you're bringing back so many great memories of lessons that I've seen of being a student and being an instructor. And you see the people who try to do it by themselves. You can't, 
get through it alone when you really think about it. And there are those ace of the base folks that did kind of where they kind of they, they were like more like reservoirs they kept to themselves. But that guy you hooked up with was more like a river. You know, he was he was gaining information, but he was giving it away to you as well. And it, I would I would think most people who are successful like that are like that. They're more like rivers. And like you said, the more that you can surround yourself by like minded individuals and just say, hey, I want to learn how you're doing it. More than often, people are willing to do that. Wouldn't you agree? I I think people really like to help. Uh, I mean, there's some people that I reached out to that I paid, you know, as, you know, leadership coaches, uh, consultants for my company, you know, people where I just needed a higher level engagement than a mentor. Uh, But I think if you're constantly reaching out to uh, both, I you know, get some real clarity on where you are, both as a person, a leader, wherever you're at in life, and what are the gaps are between where you're at and the skills you really need to develop that are in alignment with your strengths, and then intentionally work in those areas. Uh, the results, those those small little decisions every day, just yield tremendous results over time. Oh, I love that. It's so true, and I think that's for anybody that's out there that seems like it's insurmountable whatever we're trying to accomplish, especially in the leadership or the personal growth front. Um, you just gotta kind of again suspend the belief and start chipping away at something day after day after day. And again, surrounding yourself by like-minded individuals. I think those are great lessons. You know, you but it didn't end up. The career kind of came to a screeching halt. Tell to me about that. Why did your Navy career come to an end? Well, you know, in that spirit of reaching out for mentorship, uh, I was a junior officer in our squadron. We just finished our first tour in the Persian Gulf, and I went into my commanding officer. He'd been the the CEO of uh, Top Gun and had come out to the fleet to do a, a tour. And I and I said, Skipper, hey, uh, I want to make this a career. What advice do you have for me? And he said, Every day. All the, you know, it's so competitive, as you know. There might be 20 junior officers in the squadron, but if you don't get a top one, two, or three fitness report, you're, you're not going to be a, in a leadership role a, as your career progresses. So it was this uber competitive environment. Right. And he said, everybody's trying to do something big and splashy to get themselves noticed, to get this fitness report. He said, what I would tell you to do is every single day, Find somebody to serve in the squadron, whether they're junior to you or senior to you, that moves the mission of the squadron forward, but also helps that that person individually. And I really adopted that because I saw him doing that. That's how he lived. And through that, I, 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 I was accomplishing all my goals, got early selected for lieutenant commander. I'd just gotten my orders to go to Top Gun. And I was playing softball, believe it or not, just a pickup game. And I got hit with a line drive in the eye, Ugh. had nerve damage, and I was done. I couldn't pass physical. Oh, man. And so I had to get out. I, I, I got out of the Navy. Here I am walking around San Diego. Jets are flying over my head. And the, the, the first job I had was selling cell phones. I was going door to door in a residential neighborhood oh my selling to stay-at-home mom cell phones. And guys were coming into the break at, you know, 400 miles an hour and, that had to be I, that, a low moment. That was a that tough two years, I got to tell oh, you. John, I could just, my gut's in a knot just even thinking about that. <laughs> so, um, so what but you know do? what? You got to pick, yeah. pick yourself up and move forward. I, I found that I had a knack for sales. I really liked developing relationships, serving people, adding value. I think it's just how God wired me. Right. And, and through that, uh, uh, just had a great career. I became the number one rep out there in California. And a friend of mine called me and said, I'm starting a company back here in Minnesota, working with Sun and IBM. 
This is in the uh, mid-90s, and uh, I moved back to Minnesota. We grew that company, and at that time, uh, Richard, everything was taken off. Uh, software and the internet bubble, so to speak, was leading up to that. And uh, there's a, a gentleman that just saw in me something I did not see in myself, and he hired me to be head of sales and chief operating officer for a data mining business intelligence software company. And his mentorship in my life, his belief in me, uh, just allowed me to just have a career that just totally took off. We, we grew that business to a million dollars a month in sales, but then we did not survive the 2002 downturn. Uh, right. We were selling to large companies, and so our, what we were selling got cut out of their budgets pretty quickly. And, uh, but that led to going to a Fortune 50 company where I was able to do a, basically a startup within that company and be part of creating what turned into a $400 million division for that company. My group uh, was responsible for about $100 million on the P&L for that, and wow. we developed that over about a three-year period. So it was just this incredible run by just leveraging everything I'd learned in the military, that discipline, you know, serving others, working together as a high-performing team. You know, getting, you know, uh, as you know, to, to accomplish a mission, everybody has to be working together, whether a junior right. plane captain or the commanding officer of the squadron, everybody has to be working together to get everything to work well. And so creating that same culture in the company that no matter where anybody was, that they understood why they were doing it, they felt appreciated and they felt part of, uh, you know, the bigger, you know, vision and goals of, of what we were doing really served me well. So I didn't even realize how good the training was as I took it into the business, into the business world. You know, it's, I, th that segment of your life is so exciting to me because I, I can s just picture, and I said my gut was in knots because I think even on a, a basic fundamental level, because you, you, the part of flying, the being the officer, your identity was so wrapped up in that, and this search for significance was really what was happening at this point had to be just gut-wrenching, and that's why I said that. So at what point, where did the aha moment kind of happen to you? You said some great things there along the way in the journey. You started realizing I was kind of blessed with the gifts of adding value to others and everybody else. When did it start to click for you that, hey, it isn't so much about, you know, yeah, it's fun to fly jets and everything else, but there's something bigger going on here about, about what my purpose and significance is in. When, when did that really start to happen for you? Well, there's real. There's two points, Richard. First, in the in in the business career, I'll never forget when I was at the the software company, data mining company. We had uh, secured a, an appointment with a company that was on the the cover of Fast Money and Inc. and all the internet magazines at the time. And we had a meeting with their CEO, their founding CEO and chief technology officer, and their CFO with me and 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 Tim, our CEO. And he told me this was going to be my meeting, and I felt totally unworthy that I shouldn't, I didn't even belong in this room with this level of just giants, and uh, I didn't even sleep the night before. We get into the meeting, and uh, I could tell you exactly what that room looked like and smelled like and the coffee and where the windows were and where everybody was sitting, and I just started, I was sweating. Mm. I was literally erping in the back of my yeah. throat. Oh, I was yeah. just so. Oh, yeah. I was scared to death. I'm like, I, you know, I used to land on aircraft carriers at night right. after flying combat, and right. how could I be scared about a meeting? I was just chastising myself. But, dude, I failed. I fell on my face. I, I, 
I was stuttering and stammering and Tim had to take over oh, man. and we didn't, we didn't get the deal. We didn't get the sale. And I thought for sure I was fired up. We were going to get to the car and he was going to be like, yeah, this, I, this I, I just didn't make a good hire <laughs> right. here, pal. Right. Uh, here's your exit package. <laughs> see, oh, see you next week for your final check. But the conversation we had was he asked me, what was I thinking about in that meeting? And I, I don't know, I made something up and he goes, John, when you're in a meeting like that and you're focused on the other people and how you can add value to their company, their customers, what they're trying to accomplish, and you take what we're doing and you communicate in a way that links to adding value into what's important to them, it's a totally different conversation. And he goes, I know that next time you're going to do this so much better. Wow. And I'm sitting there thinking, hey, first thing I'm thinking, hey, I'm not fired. <laughs> Right. I've made it through but, the first you know, round. Yeah. Tim saw something to me there that I did not see in myself, and it totally changed my mindset. Uh, well, it was a process, but instead of worrying about myself and how I looked and my credibility, if I just focused on other people to serve them, to add value, that it would be a totally different conversation. And that was the inflection point in my business and sales and executive management career right there because I, I started seeing myself – the way Tim saw me. And I think that is a huge gift that we can see others when we see that potential in them and we help them rise to that bar that we set because we know that they can get there even if they don't know that they can get there themselves. Oh. So that that was a big turning point for me personally was just that, how I saw myself. I love that story. And it's so true, right? I mean, it's like the moment you can stop thinking about ourselves and everybody, all of us, we have those same kind of doubts and limiting beliefs. I don't belong in this space. I mean, yeah, we've all been there. And you're absolutely right. What a great mentor. And what a blessing to have Tim in your life at this at this point. My gosh. And he saw something in you. And you're absolutely right. We, we're kind of obligated to kind of do the same. Like if we see that in somebody, we need to, we need to point it out to them. Oh, I love that story. That's just awesome. So what... Yeah. Think about the people you're working with, people that are both your peers on your team, people that work for you, even your boss. And all of, some of us, you know, we have very challenging people. I've worked for some very challenging people. But I, I think if we look for the best in people and we intentionally try to find a way to bring that out, uh, find, you know, places where they can succeed, fail, but do it, you know, failing forward, yeah. uh, we're going to build a team and a culture that's going to have uh, just go places that we never expected. Yeah, it is about service and sacrifice and selflessness, all of those things that we, we would like to say, yes, of course I'm that way, but it really does take some intentional amount of work. And you're so right. Even like the ones that are challenging, the boss that you may even think is kind of a jerk, you know, find a way that you can add value to his or her life. And oh, I just love everything you're saying there. So what, what um, did you, if somebody want to add to that? It sounded like you wanted to add something. Is there anything else? No, I just thinking a friend of mine, we were both working for this guy. He was very difficult. And he said once over, over coffee, he's like, you know, if that guy's going to just be a jerk the rest of his life, I'm going to make him my jerk. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, you got to learn how to manage up as well as manage down. Oh, I'm like, yeah. you know, that is a great concept. I know it's kind of a sidebar, but, uh, uh, you know, that's also a skill. You got to manage up as it's well as manage so down true. sometimes. You do have to lead in all directions, you know, and sometimes leading up. We don't think about that, but that's actually true. That is a skill set in its own. What um, so okay so things are going successful things are going great 
Um, and then we've had another kind of defining moment in our life, which kind of leads us to where we're at here. So bring us up to that point. You know, this is when I listened to your, this part of the story, I was just blown away. But um, lead us up to that point, this, that defining moment. Well, you know, leading up to 2011, uh, after going through, you know, a lot of different uh, victories in, in business and boards that I was on, I was very, very involved in the nonprofit world and gotten involved in politics and started a, a very large nonprofit in here called Faith and Freedom Coalition here in Colorado uh, to, to get some things done in that area. But with all that, you know, public accolades and the home and the cars and just everything, I just had this feeling of discontent, Richard, and I just, I absolutely couldn't put my finger on it. Uh, you know, back when we were, you know, like in flight school and you're just constantly achieving this huge goal and this dream, that's what's driving you forward. And there's right. just so much enjoyment in, you know, doing a good job or moving forward. And I just felt like, you know, what's next uh, with my life? What What do I do? And it was at that point I decided to uh, we were, we were going to buy a company back private from a, a public bank, and which we did. I, I started working that company in preparation to do that. And five months after I was there, I was actually at a ranch for a, a board retreat, and I got on a horse. We were going to go to the back of this property for lunch and talk about uh, some business items, and uh, and my horse just bolted and it took off at a full gallop totally surprised me. I was laying flat on my back. The horse's oh rump was slapped me in the shoulder blades. I thought I was going to flip off the back and get kicked in the head. So I was squeezing with all my, my life with my legs. I got my weight back up and I looked forward and the horse is just every step accelerating. Yeah. And we're heading straight at this, this steel corral fence line that was maybe 50 yards in the distance at this point. And I kept trying to get this horse to turn. I'd pull his head over and he'd pull his head back. I'm like, this horse is crazy. Uh, but he can't be suicidal because it was clear off to the left. If he just turned a little bit to the left, we'd be fine. But we're getting closer and closer to the fence. It's getting, we're just going faster and faster. And I'm thinking, I got to bail off this horse. But you're, you know, you're up so high and the horse sure. is going so fast. I figured if I jumped off, I'd break my neck. And this horse can't be suicidal. And we're getting, as we got closer to the fence, I'll never forget, about 20 yards out from the fence, just everything just slowed down and yeah. stopped. And I, and I remember thinking very clearly, this is not going to end well. And that's the last thing I remember uh, until I woke up on the ground. The horse came into the fence, and he bucked so hard that he flipped over. Oh, my God. And he, he, he landed on his uh, side, and he slammed it in the fence rump first. Um, when he did that, he threw me into the fence, and I hit, I hit my uh, across my face. So I shattered the entire left side of my skull. I lost eight teeth. My left eye is permanently blind. All the bones behind the eye socket shattered and severed that optic nerve. Uh, broke my neck, shattered my shoulder, crushed my rib cage, punctured my lung. I was told by multiple doctors later, Richard, that this was not a survivable accident. Oh, my gosh. Um, one of the guys who I, I met with recently said, you know, best case scenario, we thought you'd be a, you know, a quad in a chair needing lifelong care. Uh, when I woke up on the ground... I remember I could feel I could hear everybody talking. Uh, my my face it was it wasn't a pretty sight. I won't explain it because what yeah, it happened uh, to my face. But uh, everybody was holding me down: my hips, my my shoulders, my head, and I was just struggling and yelling, trying to get away from the pain. The pain that I was in was beyond anything really I could describe. And then you're just panicking because it's beyond anything I could I could handle. 
And then at that moment, uh, what they said outside, the, the guys that were there said, we saw you relax so completely, it looked like you were just sinking into the ground. Did they they didn't know what, what had just happened right there in that moment. So and what, happened? Uh, what, what happened? happened was, I go ahead, Richard. I was just going to say, what happened? What, what made you relax so well? Well, I just felt the presence of God completely surround me. Wow. And it was the most intense and just unconditional sense of pure love that was totally personal. This was between God and John Ramstead. This was not just some general sense. This was, it's so hard to put into words. But I remember the first thought that came into my head when I felt this presence was, I'm not worthy of someone loving me like this. Wow. And then I just felt like the like these waves in an ocean, just this rhythmic sense, this presence, and all that pain and panic and fear just not not only just faded away, but it was gone. Not even a memory, like it never had happened. Wow. Uh, and then he spoke to me, and he said, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord, and I'm going to heal you and use this for my glory. And then he said, the Lord give it, the Lord take it away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And as soon as he said that, and I still wonder why. I knew that my left eye was blind and would be blind permanently, uh, which it is. And then I woke up. I opened my eyes, and I said calmly to everybody around me, I said, God's here. He said, uh, you don't have to worry. I'm going to be okay. Wow. And they couldn't believe it. <laughs> so uh, when you – And then for the – go ahead. Let me just – sorry to interrupt. I just – there's so many questions I have. But when you woke up and you felt that pain, did you know instantly what had happened? Or were you like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? Did you did you still remember that you'd been thrown from the horse? No, the pain was so all-consuming and overwhelming. I wasn't even thinking about how it had happened. I, I was just trying to cope at that right in that moment when I first woke up. So I, you- I knew I was on the ground and everybody was around me, so I, I I had awareness that this had that I'd gotten thrown off the horse, but I didn't know what had happened or what my injuries were. Gotcha. And so were you? To yourself, when you were in that pain, did you start talking to God, or did just does the presence all that just kind of automatically happen? No, that presence just came in as I was laying there, just beyond my breaking point. I remember hearing somebody, uh, a woman who was holding my hand, who was an EMT, who had gotten one of the first people to get there. I remember her saying, "He's going into shock," uh, and it was right then is when I when I just felt God's presence, and then just evidently relaxed and. Wow. I could still hear everybody around me. I was conscious uh, while I was in God's presence. Uh, this this isn't something that was just in my mind. I'm convinced of that. Uh, and then also, the way I, I've had I had 23 surgeries in the in the ensuing two and a half years. The accident was just three years ago, and uh, I can't tell you how many doctors told me that you know I, I shouldn't have survived or cognitively I shouldn't be able to. I, I recovered 100 percent cognitively. I still only can work, you know, 25 hours a week, so I couldn't continue being part of that company that I wanted to, you know, right. to help grow and bring private. So uh, I had to find a completely new direction for my life. Oh my gosh, that's just an amazing story. And so I can imagine as you're recovering, did did like seeds of doubt creep in? I think I noticed a lot of time I've talked to people and even myself when I've had kind of. Nothing quite to that at that level of intensity, but experiences like, well, maybe it really didn't happen. Did you ever find yourself questioning that? You know, I never did. Uh, the experience was so personal, so real, so profound. Wow. Um, but, you know, you know, being in that, just feeling that unconditional love, it just felt like everything in my past, anything I'd ever done well, not done well, you know, really bad, uh, it absolutely didn't matter. 
It was like the past was irrelevant to this relationship God wanted to have with me. That's amazing. And, you know, then there was a point, uh, and this is probably important. I, I remember laying in bed. I was in the hospital room. Uh, I think uh, the first five weeks I had post-traumatic amnesia, I, I don't remember hardly anything unless it had a really significant emotional connection. And I remember the doctor standing on the right side of my bed, my wife on the left side of the bed, and he asked her if I had a will because they were about to do brain surgery. It was the first of two brain surgeries they had to do. And they were talking about the outcomes of the surgery, and it, it wasn't a very pleasant conversation, yeah. especially for my wife. But I remember laying there thinking, you know, if I died right now, my kids would be taken care of financially and my wife. And I was thinking about, you know, they're going to get their inheritance, and that's what you leave to somebody. But what have I done as a legacy, which is what you leave in people? You know, and what have I done with my life? What is it? What is the sum total of everything I've done in business and in politics and in the nonprofit world and with my family and church? And what does it all really mean? Uh, is it significant? Is it meaningful? And the conclusion I came to for myself was: if I get through this, I'm going to live my life in a way that just has eternal value. And as I recovered, that was my focus. You know, God told me he was going to heal me. And that just sometimes the days were so difficult, so much pain in the recovery afterwards. That's all I could hang on to. Sometimes just, you know, if I could just get through the next five minutes, uh, that's all I focused on. Then the next five minutes, you know, then it was let's get through the day and let's get through the week, you know, as I slowly got better. And then I was just really seeking what do I do with, you know, has my whole life, everything from the military and business and everything I've done prepared me for what's next? And uh, I felt that it had. So it led me in the spring. I left that company with, that I was at. So it was about nine months ago. So here's a guy that can work 20 hours a week. And I left to start my own business uh, with, you know, I had to leave the health benefits and everything behind. Wow. But, but I just felt like I was, you know, I was given this second chance to do something with my life that's really meaningful. And I was sharing that with a friend of mine, Richard, and he goes, you know, it's interesting if I think about that. I would argue that every single morning when we wake up, it's, it's a second chance. We can make a decision every day when we get up to look at what our life is, what we're about, what we're doing with it, and make any changes we want to rewrite our epitaph. Oh, I thought that was a powerful statement. Very powerful you know, I just, it's so great. I mean, I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm really am kind of, there's so many things going through my head, but I'm speechless because, you know, I, I'm, we, when we hear stories like that, I put myself in those situations and wonder if I could have the strength and the courage that, that you've exhibited to get to this point. But you know what? I mean, I think, I think your answer to that would be, of course, we all could, right? I mean, that's kind of the point, you know, and I think that's, uh, you, I'm a firm believer that things, you know, when you're given that second chance, you need to maximize what you're doing with it. You're certainly exhibiting that and doing that. And I'm humbled by your um, your courage and your tenacity and your willingness to kind of to kind of put it all out there. So for that, I thank you. I mean, I don't even know what else to say. Well, I pr- I appreciate that. You know, and, but I think put it in context. I mean, every one of us, I'm sure, has had some significant challenges. You know, I've had a you know business failure, rocky relationships. Uh, you know, all of us, you know, we've, you and I as aviators, we've been to more than our fair share of funerals. Uh, you know, we know friends that have, you know, had cancer and 
things like that. There's always things in life that are challenging. You know, this life was never guaranteed to be easy. But I think when you're out, you're holding on to something that's bigger than yourself and you keep those dreams in front of you and you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, even if it's sometimes just focusing on the next five minutes, it's amazing what you can achieve. And it, I didn't do it alone. Uh, the community that came around us during that time, Richard, the friends that came out, uh, you know, not just to pray with us, just to be there with us, to sow into us, to take care of us financially during that period of time. Because there was three years where I didn't earn any income at all, and our, our bills are seven figures from the, the medical bills. And uh, But it's amazing how everything worked out, but it's not something I, I could have done on my own. And I think that's an important point. Well, I'm looking at the clock, and I know that you got an appointment to go pick up your son, and uh, there's so much more I could talk to you about. But let's give a quick shout-out and a plug for your new podcast, Eternal Leadership Podcast. Absolutely highly recommend it, and I encourage all my listeners to go out there and find John's podcast, Eternal Leadership, on iTunes and leave a rating and review, especially in this new stages. It does so much for his visibility, and it is a quality podcast, and you've heard some of his story. John, what can you say about the podcast that uh, that I haven't said already? Well, you know, one of the things I started doing this year is uh, just take my experiences, uh, Richard, and become an executive coach. So right now I'm, I'm working with just a, a large number of CEOs, and there were so many common themes about things that they were just wanted to get better at, both in leadership and business, with their spiritual development, uh, relationships, you know, busy people. You know, we struggle with just keeping our relationships in our life real healthy and, and in balance. So we created the whole podcast to really reach out to thought leaders, kind of like I, I did when I went to flight school, find somebody that is way better in this subject than you are. And that's what we've been trying to do is just like what you're doing with Dose of Leadership is just find these great leaders, mentors, and just have them tell their story and, and leave some practical teachings where people can, my hope is every episode, there's one or two things that people can take away and just go apply in their life to just make some subtle changes or some steps forward that'll, you know, just enrich who they are and the lives that they're living. Well, John, I know after people listen to this story, they're going to go out and check this out. They're going to find that value in that podcast. I know I have already. And again, I've been doing this for two years listening it. And this is, uh, you're, you're one of the few that are just making such a tremendous impact. And, um, I love what you're doing. I'm love to be, I'm, I'm so proud to be associated with you and, um, it's a blessing and, uh, to, to know you and thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Richard. I look forward to having you on our show here soon, as soon as we can schedule it. I'd love to. I'll have links to John's stuff on the post. And again, John, thanks so much for coming. Thanks, Richard. Really appreciate it. Man, isn't John's story great? It's just an amazing uh, story. I'm so glad I've met John. So happy to be associated with him. He's doing great work. And please go to iTunes and Stitcher. Find his podcast, Eternal Leadership. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to it. It's great stuff. It's just getting started, and, and uh, he's going to have a really great podcast. I'm so glad that he was able to come on the show and share his story. Again, thanks so much. I hope you get some value out of the show. Let me know where you're at in your leadership journey. Drop me a line at richard at doseofleadership.com. Let me know where you're at. See if I can be of any help. I'd love to answer any questions you have about any leadership struggles that you're having. And um, again, I always answer every email. And you can go to my website, doseofleadership.com, and connect with me there. There'll be a contact form page you can fill out 
and uh, and get in touch with me. I love hearing from you. Again, always uh, find me on uh, my Facebook page, Dose of Leadership Facebook page, page and Twitter at Dose of Leader. And again, with my podcast, if you haven't done so, please subscribe to this. Leave a rating and review at iTunes and Stitcher. It helps so much. Thanks for the latest review from Jody Mayberry. Give me a five-star review. Tells me that I get right to the heart of leadership and that this podcast is inspiring and helps you understand how you can be a better leader. Thank you so much, Jody. I appreciate the, the taking the time to do that. Again, it helps so much. Again, thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.